Are you tired of hearing mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you come to the right place, a space where healing is central, but also normalized. Your hosts, Donika and Myra, who are in the mental health field, will explore topics to help promote healing in your everyday life. Through our podcast, you will get the real and the work to focus on your healing. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Ready for this question? Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so it says, who is the Black woman, who is the Black woman Surgeon General? A, Jocelyn Edwards, B, Nadine Burke Harris, C, Vidic Murphy. So it's supposed to be the first Black woman. Okay. A little bit of help. Surgeon General. hmm Ooh. My black card is going to be revoked. But since I like the name Nadine, I'm going to just go with Nadine. I'm hoping that's correct. It's uh, probably not. No. <laughs> I, like, I like that name too. Um, but Nadine was so, actually the black woman surgeon general in California. And it looks like A. Jocelyn Edwards. Um, uh, she, okay. she was. And it says, because Myra, she's she's kind of the one who looked up this. She's like the um, Jocelyn Elders. Hold on, Edwards um, is the first African American and the second female to head the U.S. Public Health Service. Um, so yeah, so we just learned something new. I most definitely did not know that. So you are not the only one. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, I'm from California, so I feel like I still repped. That is fine with me. I'll still be happy that I said Nadine so (laughs) a little bit about Nadine so she became really popular because her work is about how childhood trauma affects your physical health Mm -hmm. and so because she did all this extensive work in it that's why she became um the first Surgeon General of California so if y'all ever like want to search her she has a TED talk that has like millions of views so that's how I found out about her because I was like who is this with all these millions of views so I watched it beautiful dark-skinned woman yeah, she looks like Zuri that we went to high school with. Yes, yes. yes. I remember her TED Talk, yes. Yeah, it's really, really popular. Okay. All right, y'all. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into Chrissy's bio. So as y'all can tell, me and Chrissy have a little bit of a background of knowing each other. We went to the same high school, tiny high school, so we all knew each other. So <laughs> Chrissy Sproul is a public health professional and certified health educator who has training and education focused around global health and health inequities. Chrissy's passions are educating and inspiring the youth on personal health goals, breaking barriers related to health disparities, and leading the next generation of public health leaders. Currently, Chrissy is a clinical researcher in oncology and enjoys writing and creating inspiring and motivational content. That's dope. So, tell us a little bit about your journey in public health. Interestingly enough, I started wanting to be a nurse. Mm. I that being an RN was something that was, it seems so cool, you know, at least watching like Grey's Anatomy and General Hospital and, you know, like all the soaps that my mom had on randomly at three o'clock when I came home from school or whatever. But, and, and plus my dad, you know, we had conversations about like, what's going to make you some money? And RNs <laughs> make good money. Yeah. And I wanted to be in the healthcare field in general because I loved helping people. It's just kind of embedded in me to want to serve. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered at UCLA Ronald Reagan Hospital uh, mm-hmm. while I was going to El Camino. So first I started at Howard University. 
Howard didn't have no money. Shout out to Howard, but y'all, you know, y'all, y'all, I ain't give me no damn money. So I had to leave. I had to go to El Camino College. During that time there, I was like, okay, I want to get some experience in. I just love volunteering in general. So volunteering at UCLA, I quickly realized I don't want to be a nurse. I I don't think personally I would be cut out for it. I believe it's good work. I just think it takes special people to do it. And so I'm just thinking, well, I still want to be in the healthcare field. What can I do? And naturally, I'm always one to connect and talk to people and realize, like, what is it that I could be really good at? Mm-hmm. And talking to someone and talking about, like, I love education, but I love flexibility, but I love this. And I love that I was kind of naming out attributes. And she was like, you should look up public health. You should see if that's a good fit. And I said, I don't know nothing about it, but hey, it's worth a try. Yeah. Turns out it's exactly like blueprint of the kind of things I want to do in my work. Nice. So from there, I graduated from Dominguez Hills with my bachelor's in health sciences, and then went straight in to get my master's in public health at the University of Arizona. So my training and my education has always been around public health, public education, health equity, looking at health disparities. And so the projection of my work actually was interesting because I fell into clinical research and it literally I fail, like tripped and fell into clinical research is <laughs> not something that I thought I would do, mm-hmm. but it is something that's very interesting. It's been a challenging yet exciting piece of work, but I think I'm going to eventually slowly transition out of that and get to the root of what I love, which is health education and uh, looking at population health on a macro and a micro level and also educating the youth because I feel like I always have this saying where it's like, we don't want to create more incompetent adults. (laughs) And so if we can continue to make sure that the generation that's going to come in is educated and nurtured in a way where we can connect with them, that's just the icing on the cake for me. So that's kind of the, you know, the in and out journey, but it's a constant journey. I mean, I'm still at 28 trying to figure out what I really want to do in public health because it's very vast, just like any other field. And it's very flexible, which I love, but with that flexibility comes a lot of responsibility because you have to find your exact niche to yeah. really market yourself well in the health community. So I say all that to say this, rough, but it's it's <laughs> something I'm doing and it's something I'm navigating every day. I'm so intrigued with public health. Like, it's just so interesting to me. I used to work in public health for two years because I found this job where they're like, oh, we're hiring minorities. Are you a minority mm-hmm. student? We'll pay for all these things. So I was like, okay, sign me up. And then once I was into it, I was like, I don't know what I signed up for, but it was (laughs) the ride and the journey because there's just so many different things, so many different topics that come up. It was amazing. That's why I fell in love with it, the intersectionality. I mean, you can talk about health, but you can't talk about health without talking about financial instability. You can't talk about financial instability without talking about educational disparities. You can't talk, I mean, it's just levels to this, you know what I'm saying? Like literally- And I think that's why I loved it so much because it really has the idea of not approaching the issue with one head. You have to have multiple bodies in really understanding the issue. Definitely. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that everything you're saying is a great uh, way to introduce what we'll be focusing on today. And so we'll be focusing on the holistic Black experience in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement. And our first question is just... um, you know, can we just start by breaking down your interest and want to discuss this topic in particular? Right. So it's interesting, right? We're honest. We're obviously in a global pandemic of COVID. We're in an epidemic of police brutality among Black people. 
So it's like a, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird double layer of oppression that we're experiencing among our own people. And I'm looking at just in my mind, kind of wrapping myself around where do I fit into this whole Black Lives Matter movement? Because we've seen transcends of the Black Lives Matter movement before. Yeah. We've seen, you know, different arenas of people protesting due to police brutality, due to violence, due to inequities. But this hit different, I think, because we're just really sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And I think it really elevated quickly when Black people soon realized that this is affecting me more than I thought it was. I think sometimes we become numb. I know I was. Like when I saw so much on the news in the past when it comes to police brutality and Black violence and and navigating our mental health, I, even in my own field of public health, have began to turn a blind eye to it because I was just so overwhelmed with what do I tackle first? Do I tackle the idea that we're getting killed in the street? Or do I tackle the fact that we can't even wake up in the morning without having anxiety? Or do I tackle, I mean, it was just too many layers at once. And it became very overwhelming. So I had to take a step back and really remember why this all matters most, why Black lives really matter. And I think it's because of this entire Black experience. And when I talk about the Black experience, it can, fa- it can seem very vast. But I think the real key to talking about is understanding what a daily life in the Black body looks like, right? It looks different for everyone. And I think the problem is that everyone thinks they have an idea of what my Black body experience is when they've never stepped foot in it they've never entered my world and god bless them i mean no one wants to enter a world where you see on the news that one of my brothers is getting killed i'm sure that no one wants to volunteer for that okay i know i don't i mean if if i could turn a blind eye to it the way i have been i would but i just knew that i would be a disservice to myself and my community by doing so and i'm just like how can i continue to elevate my voice in different platforms such as this Mm -hmm. to where people understand that the Black experience is a very diverse and very large experience for Mm -hmm. everybody. And it looks so different. And we talk about it, like I said, but it's, it's just, it needs to be unpacked deeper. And I think that's why I look at it on a health lens at all times, not only because I'm passionate about it and it's my education, but because it's true. I mean, I could talk all day, but if I get killed tomorrow, that's it, right? So it's a it's it's a scary conversation, even for black people. I can only imagine how deep it could be for white people if they weren't if they wanted to engage with me on this kind of conversation. And I created a um like a Zoom meeting that I try to do like once a month with all of my friends, black, white, and in between alike to really talk about these issues because I don't think that white people sometimes get to hear the realness of what we have to go through. And being in Arizona was like my first culture shock of that. Cause growing up in LA, it was beautiful. I mean, it was truly <laughs> a great experience to say that you can grow up in a place like Inglewood and just be, interestingly enough because in Inglewood we have gang violence we have police brutality we have all these things but it was something about the culture that's 
said, you know what, despite all of this BS, I can just be a black person. I can be free as a black person. I can be around other people that will allow me to be free as a black person. And talking to other people around the country, they don't get to have that same experience living in the South, living in the Midwest, living even in the North or living in the desert where I was going to school with U of A. So I was thinking, damn, like, this needs to be a conversation because not everybody's the urban black girl like me who, you know, got degrees and is trying to do her thing. Some, Some black girls like me are really trying to understand what their black experience is like. In the midst of Black Lives Matter, in the midst of police brutality and, and, you know, racial profiling, who am I amongst all of this? So I think that's why I'm just trying to push out that narrative of we're just so different. Please understand that, you know, Myra, Danica, and Christy may have similar experiences, but there's nuances. And those nuances need to be really dissected because they're important. That makes me think about how now a lot of use of the word monolith is coming up. And I feel like this is a term we never even use. And now I feel like black people are having to shout this like all damn day. Like I was there at a pool party yesterday and this girl, she was in a conversation with this guy and they were talking about like their preference of black women, whatever, whatever. And they started talking about like their black experience. And the guy was like saying all these things that he thought like all black people experienced. And the girl kept shouting at him like, we are not all monolith. And I'm like, that's crazy how we have to really break down the fact that we're not all the same. Like, that honestly irritates me and frustrates me so much. Like, why is she having to shout that at you? And why are we all having to do that? Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that there are similarities. I don't Mm want to disconnect from that. I mean, if I I shout out baby boy, we all know what that means. (laughs) And we all can relate to, you know, Jody being a damn fool. Okay. But as far as (laughs) like I said, those special experiences that mm-hmm. I had to deal with in 2015, where I was trying to navigate a bad relationship, applying to grad schools, trying to be a good daughter and a good friend, and while having just a rough time, yeah. that's different. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's, I think people can have a year where they can share similarities, but the, the point of the matter is it's still my experience right. and it's still something that should be valued and not to look at as Myra's or Danica's or Tammy's or, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It's just different. And it should be respected as such. Mm-hmm. Not just like, oh, black people suffer. It's like, uh, but let's unpack that. Why are we suffering? And how mm-hmm. is my suffering different from yours? And if there are similarities, how can we find the common seed to get rid of these types of pain that we deal with every day? Yes, definitely. So I changed one of the questions because I was like, I feel like this has to be asked. Yes. Um, I want to ask you, what are the impacts of experiencing slash witnessing racial trauma on our mental and physical health? So I wanted to ask you that because like like, things hit differently this time. And I think that this is just my observation. I feel like things hit differently this time because we're in a pandemic and we're forced to tune into what really is going on. Because I think about before the pandemic, Things were going on with Black lives being taken, right? But we had work. We had places we had to be. We had things we had to do. But now we're at home more, and it's like it's in your face. And that was just something that I've observed, where it's more so in our face. And I feel like for me personally, it is right up in my face. And now in my work setting, we're really talking about these things. I'm like, we didn't talk about this before. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hit differently because it's like these things are going on in my head now it's put in my face 
And now it's put in my face even more because we have to talk about it. And I feel like I'm like, what is going on with me? Like my body was doing some weird stuff. I feel like my brain was like playing tricks on me. So that's how I want to ask you, like, what do you think some of the impacts that trauma has on our mental and physical health? Who? Just the fact that I had a bodily response to that question should answer everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, so let's break it down. Your mind is going to allow your body to react in a certain way. Once I think about the fact that my Black brothers are being killed in the street, I'm physically traumatized because every time I even get in a car and see red and blue lights, I'm going to have a physical reaction to that. Even if I see a video, my mind is saying this is very traumatizing, which makes your body say fight or flight. You know, I mean, your mind and your body are both trying to figure out what that looks like. Do I flee? Do I attack? Sometimes with the Black experience, do I go numb? Do I not even care? So I think when it comes to even looking at the impact and how strong that word is in general, what an impact can really do to a Black person, mentally, you're constantly trying to navigate, do I find reasons to disconnect from this because of my own mental grace and my peace? Or if I do enter a situation where I want to fight and I want to navigate these issues and I want to have a podcast and talk about it, or I want to engage with other people about it, how do I still protect myself? Mm -hmm. Because I think we are in a defensive mode as Black people all the time. So it's a mental struggle of having to unpack your own traumatizing experiences while trying to be okay Mm -hmm. in front of everyone else. And then physically, if you look at just the stressors that we have to deal with and how it can physically interact with how our mind is talking to the body, mm-hmm. it's very stressful. It could be very, um, it could just be a lot on, on the body and mind and how we navigate that. But I would say to go even further, because we don't talk about this often in the Black community, we think that mental health, emotional health look the same, and they don't. Mental health is, how do I get my mind to shut off the pain, the suffering, and the inequities that I've experienced in my life? Emotional health is, how do I get my heart to deal Mm -hmm. with the pain and the suffering and the traumatizing experiences that I have to deal with? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can relate the two. Sometimes they talk to each other. But I like to unpack those very separately because I know that I can think something in my mind and my heart would want something totally different. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about just the Black experience and the impact that police brutality or people that have been dying on the backs of blue lives have affected us. It's even traumatizing to my heart and to, you know, trying to protect that level of my chakra compared to this level, which is my mind and my enlightenment. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, and, and another thing that I usually do all the time and just be being ridiculous as a human being is I try to always mask everything with humor. 
And honestly, social media is so weird because it's something that has been exhausting, but something that has been amazing all in the same breath. Because Black people, we're ridiculous. We are ridiculous people. And I love it. I love us (laughs) for it. Because the memes and the foolery and everything that kind of comes out of our pain Mm -hmm. is wonderful to have. Mm -hmm. But what is all this pain? (laughs) We're really experiencing pain and to the world it can be like oh black people so strong they be laughing it off like no we're secretly crying but a meme is the only thing that can protect our heart and protect our minds and not have a physical reaction to every time I look on the news or every time I'm having a conversation with my black friends or every time I'm trying to find peace within black music black culture black even black voices so (sighs) Sigh. What you just said makes me think about my boyfriend always says, and I've said this on a podcast episode before, and he mm-hmm. always says, one thing you can't take away from Black people is their smile. And so we had went to like a protest. We were getting shot at with tear gas, rubber bullets, all types of things. Anything you could think of, he was going through it. What happened? Right. Run away, convene together, help each other out, as Black people tend to do. We form community, and we're smiling and cracking jokes, like you said. And then yeah. going back in, riding together. Then we coming back out, same thing. We're smiling and we're laughing together. And I think that there's beauty in the fact that we hold on to like our smile and our happiness. Even though it's so hard, we have a little tiny bit of it that we tend to hold on to. And I love that about us. Yes. Resilience is, has been our only power, has mm-hmm. been our only superpower throughout all of the pain and trauma that we've tried to unpack for years and years. Oh. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what do you believe are the top three challenges for Black people in trying to navigate daily life currently? So I love intersectionality, as y'all have picked up already. Mm-hmm. These three go hand in hand constantly. If you look at the Black experience, usually with pain and trauma, you're going to be looking at either their environment and foundation, mm-hmm. so where they come from, where they're rooted from, what their beliefs and values are, their relationship, either with their families, their partners, their friends, anyone in general, business, professionalism, and then their health, being mental, physical, social, emotional, and that's a mental? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mental, physical, social, emotional. <laughs> child those okay uh so if you look at those three things it's always going to be rooted around why are we experiencing the things we experience Hmm. well probably from what our background and our foundation is from either the families we come from the environments that we grew up in how we navigate the world through our lens what we hold value what we hold truth our relationships who has hurt me in the past? Was it stemming from a family member? Was it stemming from a friend from third grade? Was it stemming from my boyfriend of five years? Was it stemming from, right? Or we're looking at health. How, from what I eat, to what I read, to what I think, to how I feel, to where I go, like all those things. I think that those three pieces are very fundamental to cracking the code of how to heal the black person and um you can go about it in in whichever way you want first and I think Myra you know knowing your background in mental health and and therapy that's something very important right because usually if you're in any session and I've been you know I've been to at least 
two successful therapy sessions and usually all the conversations that we've navigated around come from how I see the life and the world around me through my lens of my environment and my fundamental capabilities, Mm -hmm. how my mental, physical, social, and emotional health have impacted my life and how my relationships have intertwined around what I experience day to day. So it's hard to unpack those three because those are, those are, that's a big three. Like, what do you, like, what do you, what do you even look at first? And when I talk about how the black experience uh, interrelates to the black lives matter movement, I constantly had to think about Christy, what is it that you are really traumatized with first? Hmm. Because, and this is, this is like some soapboxing type shit right now, you know, but Honestly, I was talking to my girlfriend. She's staying with me for a while. And we were talking about, okay, Black men getting killed in the street, right? But then we need to also talk about the fact that some Black men don't even love us for real. And the fact that we are constantly protecting them from the same brutality that Blue Lives have shown them. And we have been the forefront of their peace and their love Literally. and their will since the beginning of time, right? So it's like, what is this? I can't even, like, I, I don't know what to do first, right? And then we talk about, like, we could talk about, um, and then that goes deeper, right? If you talk about, okay, our Black men are getting killed, our Black men don't love us for real, and now we're looking at women like me who are beautiful, successful, I mean, I would like to think so, okay? Uh, for being 28, <laughs> For being 28, I got all my ducks lined up, okay? Because I could have a lot of shit unwinded, but I think that from, from what I have built for myself, it is pretty lit. Yeah. And you think about that, and still the idea of like, will I get married, or is it not going to happen? I don't know. Where's my man? Where's my husband? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and these are funny things, right? Or you could think about the fact that if I have a Black baby, will I survive to live to see my Black baby? Will yeah. I be in a hospital where they'll respect my black body and mm-hmm. my black baby to see it all through? I mean, it goes so deep. That's the that's the problem with the black not not even the problem, but that's the that's the like the 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 coils that we have to like sift through when it comes to the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movement is that what part of my black life do I look at to matter first? The idea that I need to survive being a mother one day. Do I need to think about the fact that I want to be a, a wife one day to a black man that actually loves me and not going to take advantage of me or abuse me? Or do I look at the fact that our black men are getting killed in the street and I have to navigate how to protect them while still protecting myself as a black woman, which is the only race, the only person on this planet Earth that's not protected. So it's just, chill, okay? And that's why health is kind of the root of all of this. Because the fact that I was, oh, and I think I left out spiritual health. I don't know if I said that, but those five things are very important. Mm -hmm. I have learned that the biggest piece of me getting through any of this is protecting my peace Mm -hmm. and my spiritual health. Mm -hmm. Because I can't protect nobody. I can't protest. I can't go on the street. I can't do nothing if Mm -hmm. I'm screwed up spiritually first. That's just me. Some people look at their mental health first, emotional health first. For me, it's all spirit. Like from the moment I was born, as soon as God put a spirit in me, I knew I had to protect that because that was his will. He could easily take it away from me. So that's the one thing I have to protect for myself. But 
giving myself grace, I think is very important because telling yourself that Christy, the fact that you didn't protest during this Black Lives, Ma Black Lives Matter movement, it's okay. The fact that you decided to take a break from social media, that's okay. The fact that you didn't know what to do when you saw George Floyd being killed in the news, that's okay. Mm. I, I had to give myself grace because I think that's something as Black people we don't do. We don't give ourselves grace. We have a hard time giving other people grace because of the hurt that we've been experiencing for, for generations and the curses that we're trying to constantly disconnect from. It's hard. So I, I think with make sense of how those three things play a big role in what we look at for the black experience and what we have to navigate first sometimes it's not even navigating something first sometimes you have to talk about it all at once but as long as those three things are talked about I think we'll be closer to healing definitely um what takeaways do you have for our listeners hmm. when you say the word love please be authentic with that word Mm. when we say like, I love you girl, but we're still shaming other black girls in comments on social media, or we're still disconnecting from our brothers and sisters because of something that they thought they had or judging somebody from an entanglement from five years ago when you just had an entanglement two years ago, like those type of things, right? I mean, <laughs> listen, and I'm, I'm ridiculous, like I said, so I got to throw that out there. By the way, listen to Alcino's uh, Entanglement song. That shit kind of go. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I know it's ridiculous, but like that song is kind of lit, and I'm sad that I'm even a part of the foolishness. But, <laughs> but honestly, I mean, love is a verb, truly a verb. And I remember listening to Jada Pickett and she always talked about how love is blue and that's my favorite color. So I truly live my life in blue all the time. Tranquility, peace, serenity, prosperity. I mean, blue is a powerful color to describe love because we think of love as red and out loud and passionate and fiery. And as long as I show you everything and give you my 100% all, you know I love you. But then you have nothing for yourself because I try to live in my overflow. I never live within my, within my cup. My cup is for me. If it spills over, you can have that because I, I already have my cup filled. Yeah. So I live within my overflow constantly. And I think that's why I've been able to authentically love in everything I do. Ooh. And I think as Black people, we need to understand that love is truly the essence of how we get through anything outside of our resiliency, our strength, our power, our tenacity, but our love is, is truly medicine. I mean, I've been able to give myself so much self-love and I couldn't rely on massages or nail salons or, you know, hair salons or different outwardly things to give myself love. I truly had to learn how to do it just by staring in the mirror, yeah. just by writing down a song, just by listening to a podcast or a sermon or writing my own music or just anything like that. It's, it's so important to be authentic with your love yeah. in all areas. Because I think when we talk about the Black experience, the real experience that we need to talk about is how do we love each other more? 
I mean, and not just like I commented on your post, so I did enough love for the day. Like, no, I mean, truly, truly connecting to one another. And I know COVID has made that very difficult, but that's the time that we need to be more creative. Because yeah. I think even within COVID, I've been able to show the people that I love the most that they are loved out loud. And um, I recently lost a loved one uh, about three weeks ago to an idiotic drunk driver. And it made me realize like, oh shoot, I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, and just things like that. I mean, it, it can be just any life is so precious. I think especially for the black life, right? I mean, our life truly matters. I think when we say that we hashtag BLM, but it's real. I mean, our black bodies are constantly being ostracized and oppressed and our experiences are constantly being shattered. And so if we can figure out how to love out loud in an authentic and genuine way, I think that level of healing will be so crazy I mean I think we'll see so much transformation within our community and I think that people don't need I think people need to stop being afraid of serving mm. that's another thing I value my service to my community and I wouldn't have it any other way I think that black people sometimes we think like oh we got the Sean Kings we got the Maxine Waters we got you know Kamala like they got it it's like no 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 we have it all of us like as a collective you know we need to work start working in groups we're always working in silos it's like fingers on a hand some of us got a nonprofit. some of us have a podcast da, 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 da. that's and that's beautiful work but imagine if you bring all that together and make a fist I mean that shit would be crazy so that my life goal is to create coalitions and collectives of people that get it I mean that are like-minded that really understand that operate out of their heart first that really want to serve and so I think as black people we need to love out loud we need to really serve in a way where it's um you know it's real and have people see us for who we are I mean really share your story I think we hide a lot on social media because the mask no pun intended <laughs> is um very convenient but i think that if we begin to just uncover a lot of that shame i would love to see it i, I stand i would love to see it so i think we just need to give ourselves time more grace definitely well thank you so much christy and we look forward to airing this episode it's much needed yes of course i'm excited to hear it i'll share it and blast it everywhere <laughs> Hey y'all, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. And thinking about what Chrissy said about staying in touch with friends, I wanted to shout out a sustainable stationery company created by a black woman. So it's cool cards with black people on them. It's Aya Paper Company. So A-Y-A Paper Co. Um, so check them out. Donnie, you got something to share real quick? Yeah, in regards to um, like us talking about Black Lives Matter and talking about like Chrissy was talking about this global pandemic, police brutality, everything. I think it's important to continue um, self-care. And as you all know, that is what you want it to look like and what that feels like for you. So I most definitely encourage everyone to continue exploring self-care in this time and uh, practicing being present in the present moment, because as we see the future, it keeps changing. They're opening up stuff. They're closing up stuff. 
we kind of, well, we don't, we do not have control over what's happening right now. And I think we have to accept it and take control over the things that you do. So self-care is living in the present moment and figuring out what that is for you. Yes. And self-care is not meaning that you have to spend money. So, all right, y'all. That is it for this week's episode of Black Women's Healing Pod. 